Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Who abducted a New Hampshire couple on a lonely road in 1961? Where did these abductors come from? Given their behavior, did they consider us equals? Hello and welcome to the 917th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from WON AM and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live on YouTube and TuneIn and via TuneIn.com, I should say. I'm Ben and that was Paul and today we're simulcasting a very special show with the Western Connecticut UFO Conference taking place at the Danbury Public Library. On today's show, we mark the 60th anniversary, because the actual anniversary was about a month ago, of the Betty and Barney Hill alien abduction case, the first such report to win global media attention. With us today to take your questions on this landmark case is our good friend, occasional co-host, and the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, Kathleen Marden. Kathleen is a retired educator, groundbreaking UFO researcher, author, international lecturer, the Mutual UFO Network's National Director of Abduction Research, among many other things, and certainly the leading authority on the Betty and Barney Hill case. So Kathleen Martin, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you. It's great to be back with you again. Well, it's great great to have you with us, especially for this this uh, very interesting simulcast we're doing. I think this is probably the first time, well, not the first time, but it's been a while since we've done something this interesting, yeah. I should say. <laughs> so before we begin, we wanted to give uh, the organizer the of the Western Connecticut UFO Conference, that is Aurelio Maraca, the, the great and the legend, the man himself of the Danbury Public Library staff, a uh, chance to tell everyone about the conference, uh, which is going on all this week. Thank you, Ben. Yes, the uh, Danbury uh, Library, um, uh, this is our sixth annual Western Connecticut uh, UFO conference. Uh, begins today with this uh, awesome simulcast. Uh, t- tomorrow we have um, um, a- another presentation uh, that you can register for on danburylibrary.org uh, uh, with uh, Michael Panicello, who is the uh, executive director of MUFON for Connecticut, and we're going to be talking about uh, UFOs, past and present, in the, the state of Connecticut. And we also have on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Uh, animal reactions to UFOs with the great author and friend of uh, the conference and the show, uh, Linda Zimmerman. And also on October 30th at the Danbury Library, uh, we're going to have a special live hybrid version of the conference where you can actually tune in virtually or come down to the Danbury Library and uh, check it out. Uh, we're going to have uh, Let's Look Up, Let's Investigate with the great Mark D'Antonio, who is the chief photo analyst of MUFON uh, National. And uh, after that, we're going to have a special pre-recorded uh, segment of uh, Paul and Ben Eno's uh, talk of UFOs, aliens, and poltergeists, and then after that, we're going to have the uh, the always amazing and engaging Tom Reed talk about his experience, uh, off-world uh, experience uh, regarding the Berkshires UFO incident that he personally uh, will talk to us uh, virtually and uh, what unsolved mysteries had concealed during his segment. And then after that is a special virtual session with the great author and uh, aviation historian Michael Schratt. And we're going to be talking about 
His uh, book, Dark Skies, A Pictorial History of Lost, Forgotten, Obscure UFO Encounters. So that is a uh, our UFO conference. If you're within Connecticut, you can come on in uh, next Saturday. If not, you can always tune in across the world. Uh, just go to uh, org, and it's right on our homepage, and feel free to uh, register. It's all free. Thanks Good. a lot. Thank you, Aurelio. Yeah, always, always a great time. We, we always really enjoy it. So let's just hop right into it. So Kathleen, before we begin taking questions, uh, please give us the background of the Betty and Barney Hill case. I know there's a lot of details, so, so <laughs> well, jump right into it. In a nutshell, my aunt and uncle, Betty and Barney Hill, went on a short vacation to Niagara Falls, uh, through Ontario to Montreal, and then decided to return home through New Hampshire at night. This was the night of September 19, 1961, and they had a Uh, It could hover stationary in the air. It could shoot back and forth uh, very, very strangely. They'd never seen anything like that before. It appeared to be rotating, and it came in closer and closer. And finally, uh, when they were in Lincoln, New Hampshire, on Route 3, which was the major highway in that time frame, Route 93 had not been constructed that far north, Uh, the craft shot ahead and stopped over the highway. In fact, Barney had to stop the car in the middle of the road so that he would not drive under that craft. And today we know the, from so many cases that people, uh, cars were picked up by the craft and they were taken into the craft when they attempted to drive under. So uh, Barney stopped the car in the middle of the road, got out, and he was looking up at this thing. He was a confirmed skeptic. He did not believe that these things could possibly be real. But he was seeing it with his own eyes. And he stepped away from the car. And when he did, that craft that had been hovering about 200 feet in the air moved to an adjacent field to the east and descended to within 100 feet of him. He followed it. He stood at the edge of that farmer's field with apple trees and a a farm stand and looked up at it. And this is in the original documents. This was uh, conscious recall. He never forgot this. He saw figures dressed in black, shiny uniforms looking down at him. And these figures were somehow not human. Suddenly, all but one who remained at the window turned around and walked to what appeared to be some kind of panel. Barney could now see them from the tops of their heads down to their knees. Their arms went up, and when this happened, little red lights slid out on fin-like structures, and something started to drop down out of the bottom of the craft. 
We know today that that is a sort of tractor beam. And when that hits you, you're absorbed into it. But back then, Barney just became terrified, so terrified that he said that he thought he was going to be captured like a bug in a net. He pulled the binoculars down away from his eyes so forcefully that he broke the leather strap. And he went screaming back to the car to Betty that they had to get out of there or they were going to be captured. He'd left the car running. He went uh, speeding down Route 3 to try to get away from this craft that he saw moving in his direction as he was getting into the car. Within moments, he and Betty heard code like a series of code-like buzzing sounds. Striking the trunk of the vehicle, the car vibrated, and they felt sort of an electrical tingling sensation pass through their bodies. The next thing they knew, they were 35 miles down the highway. They had very little memory of what had happened in the interim They recalled uh, a a strange roadblock. They didn't know where or when it occurred. A fiery orb that appeared to be sitting on the ground and finding themselves on a dirt road with tall trees all around. In fact, uh, they started going back and making trips through that part of New Hampshire looking for that dirt road, looking for that place that they remembered being in, but those memories were vague. And so they they drove on home, and when they arrived, they found physical evidence that they simply could not explain. And this bothered Barney terribly. He just wanted to forget about anything. He felt that if he remembered, if he spoke of what he remembered, uh, some kind of punishment would be meted out to him. And he became more and more distressed as Betty um, tried to find answers. She went to the Portsmouth Public Library and took out the first book she'd ever read on that topic. There was an address for the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. She and Barney sat down. She was the typist and wrote a letter to uh, Donald Kehoe Uh, former major Donald Keogh at NICAP. That brought astronomer Walter Webb to their house uh, for an interview of each of them over a period of six hours, first separately and then together. Uh, They made a report to Pease Air Force Base as well. And as time passed, this troubled Barney so terribly that he developed bleeding ulcers, high blood pressure, Uh, What we think of today is post-traumatic stress, and uh, he ended up in the hospital with these life-threatening bleeding ulcers. And this is why he was referred to Dr. Benjamin Simon, a renowned psychiatrist who worked with veterans during World War II to relieve, alleviate the symptoms that they were having that were psychogenically induced because of the trauma they faced during the war. He was highly successful at this. He specialized in this, and this is why Barney was uh, referred to him. Betty went with Barney and wanted to be hypnotized too. 
So Dr. Simon hypnotized the two of them separately over a period of months and reinstated amnesia at the end of each session. So that gave me a a really good basis to do a comparative analysis of their statements. So uh, in a nutshell. Okay, well, thank you so much. Right now, uh, really, let's. If you have any questions in the chat, we can start with that, and we have a lot of questions from listeners. But we'll give the chat uh, priority. Anyone have any questions? Just please type it in the chat. Yeah, if not, we can get going with the ones we have here. Certainly. Okay. All right. Uh, I think it's only appropriate to start with uh, one of our um, uh, renowned guest co-hosts, uh, Peter from Bogota, Colombia. Yeah, yes, okay. There you go. Lovely. Alrighty. Uh, so Peter, as always, uh, has, has many questions. And the first one is, during hypnosis, Barney Hill describes a figure he sees with binoculars inside the UFO. The evil face looks like a German Nazi. Uh, black scarf around his neck, dangling over his left shoulder, wearing a black uniform. Uh, just prior, he describes another figure as a red-headed Irishman. Since Barney makes a World War II connection, perhaps it would be relevant to see if there could be some prior trauma or overlay involved. What did Barney experience exactly during World War II? Well, let me tell you first that Dr. Simon uh, was a psychoanalyst. So he was doing psychoanalytic hypnosis with Barney and to help him to work through this trauma. And in that, he told Barney that he wanted to hear about anything in Barney's past that uh caused the same amount of trauma that Barney was experiencing uh, all the way through this. So there was always this story from the past in, in Barney's life. And this is uh, why I believe that Barney was talking about a red-headed Irishman because he believed that uh, the Irish were hostile. He knew the Irish were hostile toward uh, people of color. Barney had worked at the South Boston Postal Annex and uh, was not treated well uh, by the Irish when he was there. So, uh, and and also this Nazi. Well, in, during World War II, Barney was a truck driver. He was uh, a sharpshooter, and Barney was injured. Uh, when the, uh, there was an explosion uh, and shrapnel went into his body, he had scars on his chest, he lost his teeth because of this explosion. So uh, his record does not say that he uh, was overseas during the war, but I've since found out that that happened to a lot of black soldiers who served in the war. And I have letters that uh, exchanged between Barney and veterans of foreign wars as well. So I, I'm beginning to think that he probably was in Europe. Hmm. Okay, uh, Aurelia, we have some chat questions, I understand. Uh, we uh, have some questions in the chat. Okay, well, why don't we sort that out and... We'll, Take another question from uh, Peter here. Oh, sorry, I don't know if you heard me, but um, I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh. But we do have a question 
Um, after the event occurred, were Betty and Barney visited by government agents, like Men in Black or any other agents? Immediately after the event occurred and they made their report to Pease Air Force Base, uh, Barney developed a best friend, and that best friend uh, was a CIA operative who had supposedly retired from the Air Force, from Pease, but uh, I have since learned that they never really retire. So, you know, his, that person was involved in Barney's life. They uh, used to go to the gym and at the, the base and, and play uh, whatever, I don't know, paddleboard or something like that together. And uh, there were entries into Betty's and Barney's house, and weird things were done. Betty and Barney never reported this. It wasn't made public. It was only made public by me. I observed some of this because Barney died in February of 1969, and because of all of the problems that Betty was having, being followed, being harassed, having the phone tapped, uh, I moved in with her, and I was uh, in her basement apartment. I was a college student at the University of New Hampshire and drove Barney's car to college days. Well, one day I was down in uh, my apartment. There we had an intercom between our apartments, and I heard what I thought was Betty coming in. And I went upstairs. We kept always kept the doors unlocked between our apartments. And so I went up and uh, called for her. She wasn't there. And I thought, oh, she must have just stopped in to pick something up, and she's left. And so I went back down to study again. And then I heard bang, and I heard running. And I went tearing up the stairs to see what was going on. And the closet door was open. There was a baseball bat lying on the floor. That was one bang. The front door to Betty's apartment, she owned an apartment house, was open. The front door to the apartment building was open. The gate was open. And it was not a common burglar running up the street. It was a man dressed in a tan suit. Okay. We have another uh, chat question, uh, Relo? Yes, we do. We have another question for Kathy. In your years of research in the UFO field, what is your opinion on why ETs are visiting our world? Do you think they're friend or foe or possibly neutral? According to the statistics, and I've worked on three major studies with experiencers, uh, of about 5,000 at this point. And what we've discovered is that about 80% are, are friendly. Uh, they have come back from time to time to assist in our development. They're concerned about our barbaric behavior. When we started to explode nuclear weapons, it caused problems for them. They certainly didn't want us to take our brand of friendship out into space. They saw that we were developing technologically. And so they came and they stayed. And they started collecting flora and fauna all over the world. I, I think 
all I can think of is Noah's Ark, collecting DNA in case we destroyed this planet. They're also very concerned about our environment. Uh, the 20% that I talked about who are more uh, unkind, unfriendly, they're here to take what they want, uh, are basically just a group of small greys uh, who, and, and also reptilians who have that sort of attitude. They work together, actually. Um, and they're different from the other greys because there are many different types of greys. And uh, many of those types are, are benevolent, they're friendly, and they have our best interest in mind. And also theirs, uh, they, they're just so concerned about uh, our barbaric behavior and would like to see move, uh, humans move ahead on an evolutionary scale. Okay, Relio? And for now. Okay. So let's uh, get to Peter from South America and his next question. Sure. Alrighty, so Peter continues with, uh, I really like the 1975 uh, TV uh, movie based on the case. Uh, In what way was the movie version possibly different from what you understand was the actual alien encounter? Well, let me tell you, I have all of the hypnosis tapes and I have all of the records pertaining to that case and also... Uh, I've interviewed all of the researchers who were still alive over that 15-year period before I wrote my book uh, with Stanton Friedman Captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience that I've just recently updated, so we have a new release now. And uh, the difference between the movie and what really happened is in the movie you get the idea that Betty and Barney just saw kind of a light in the sky and that uh, then uh, they had uh, went to Dr. Simon and had all of these hypnosis sessions because uh, of Barney's distress. Well, Barney was distressed, uh, but you don't know all of the physical evidence. You're not aware of that, and you're not aware of uh, what Betty and Barney remember. They remember a great deal, and it's all in the early records, the the archival documents. Uh, so, uh, and even uh, Pease Air Force Base uh, had uh, uh, something on radar that night, an unconventional object, and also the um, North Concord, Vermont radar station. Uh, saw something very large in the sky that was moving erratically earlier that evening. And uh, they dismissed it as a weather balloon, even though it was moving against the wind. But there was something uh, recorded that evening. Uh, We now have uh, about at least 14 witnesses to the craft that night. Uh, We didn't know that back when the movie was made. Uh, The Barney that you saw in the movie was uh, just a little more emotional than Barney. He just didn't lose it like like it showed in the movie. And Barney, uh, oh, Betty was different than the little woman that Estelle Parsons paid, kind of this dowdy 
little woman who didn't have a lot of power or self-esteem. That wasn't Betty at all. Betty was highly intelligent, curious. Uh, I come from a family of strong women. Uh, My grandmother was one of those women who uh, marched for the women's right to vote, for example. Uh, She was a union uh, organizer, and uh, so there were strong women in my family, and Betty was one of them. That's cool. The uh, in the 1975 film, uh, wasn't uh, Barney played by James Earl Jones? Yes, Barney was played by James Earl Jones. That's really cool. Terrific job. (laughs) Absolutely, uh, yeah. Okay. if yeah. we if we have anything in the chat, let's proceed with that. If not, we have a question from. Well, there's someone I think there in the chat. Real quick, we have a uh, a chat question. Um, uh, do you think that the friendly aliens intervened at all against the unfriendly aliens? From your experience, Kathy. According to the open-ended questions that we had on uh, these projects that I worked on, research projects, with uh, PhD scientists, Uh, the information that we received is that the friendly uh, entities are uh, intervene and uh, keep control of the unfriendly ones as much as they can. They'd like to drive them out completely. Okay, well, who wouldn't? But uh, Mm. let's take uh, sort of a very, very brief mid-show break, and you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM, 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley. And we are simulcasting today with the Western Connecticut UFO Conference at the Danbury, Connecticut Public Library. So quite the spectacular production today, I'm sure. So we'll get right back to the show, and uh, I guess do we have another chat question there, Aurelio, or...? I have a question from Gina. Have you ever read the uh, book Voyagers, the Sleeping uh, Abductees by uh, Anna Hayes? No, I have not read that book. Uh, They say it's a fascinating channeled book within 20 years that uh, sounds like it's, uh, um, I guess, they're warning us of these times and advising us to to wake up from societal pressure to to conform and to think of ourselves and trust in our intuitions. But that seems like... uh, There is something I would like to say. Uh, I had had an interest in Admiral Herbert Knowles and also in the Canadian government's uh, radio engineer, brilliant scientist, Wilbert Smith. And uh, he was also the Canadian government's UFO guy. And they did a study on a woman back in 1954 who was channeling um, these entities. And uh, they were attempting to prove this or disprove it scientifically. And uh, so the entities, these non-human entities, were uh, telling them, and also this information went to Dwight Eisenhower, they wanted to meet with him, It was delivered by Margaret Chase Smith, the senator from Maine. I have the uh, correspondence files between these men. They have, as far as I know, they're not in an archival collection anywhere. They're uh, Admiral Knowles' granddaughter. 
carried them to me and handed them to me and gave me permission to talk about this. And she, in fact, she wanted me to. That uh, these non-humans were here to assist our planet if this is what our leaders would permit them to do. Uh, they said that they would share technology, but they would not uh, do this to the benefit of any nation over another nation. Uh, they talked about our use of nuclear weapons and how uh, it tore into uh, the fabric of time and space and caused damage to other dimensions, and that was a big concern of theirs. They said that uh, their words were that uh, our nuclear weapons were causing uh, the collapsing of the magnetic fault lines, and we had a major problem around Japan, and that they were attempting to help our planet by reconstructing those fault lines. And in fact, Wilbert Smith was able to find scientific evidence that they were being reconstructed. So uh, some uh, uh, good news, actually. They said, talked about coming times, uh, times coming that uh, were uh, sort of a biblical proportion and that they were here to assist if we wanted that assistance. But it wouldn't be the end of the earth, but there would be major changes taking place. Kathy, with that, uh, taking a moment here, tell us about your books uh, and where people can find out more, your website, etc. Okay. Because you've written a lot about what you just said. Yes. uh, First, I was captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience. Then uh, Science Was Wrong with Stanton Friedman. Uh, After that, I I wrote... uh, the Alien Abduction Files with Denise Stoner on six cases of alien abduction that I had personally investigated. I uh, had done the hypnosis on some of those as well. And then the next book was with Stanton again, Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers, The History of Government Involvement in the Investigation of UFOs, the Major Studies, the Results, the decision to cover up those results and what these disinformants did to every major evidence case in in that time frame through history. And then my latest book is uh, before the second edition of uh, Captured is Extraterrestrial Contact, What to Do When You've Been Abducted. So, and I think I wrote a little bit in that book about Admiral Knowles and and Wilbert Smith as you well. Did, you did. I've just been rereading it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm working on another book as we speak. So I'm, I'm hoping that that will be published re- relatively soon. Very good. Okay. Back to our questions. Uh, something else in the chat there, Aurelio. A, uh, just a question as uh, uh, about channeling information from uh, non-human entities is concerned. How do you know if they're telling the truth, or can they believe, be believed at face value? For the record, no. I didn't ask that. I always do, but someone else asked yeah. it this time. That is a very, very good question, and I had the opportunity to do an experiment 
uh, with a man who uh, had had long-term contact with entities that called themselves the Council of Eight, Uh, but he had never channeled them. Uh, Certain members... Do you think Dave uh, might be upset by skipping... Took took him to craft, uh, and sometimes they would just materialize in front of him from the time he was a little boy. This man had a a background as a police officer. His wife was a researcher at a university. And so uh, I always had to ask, uh, is this person delusional? Is this person hoaxing this because they are looking for attention in, in order to profit off this? We went, we established a team, an investigative team, Uh, We took our instruments, and we were permitted to ask uh, questions and uh, to observe and measure. What we discovered over a period of two years, actually, we met once a month, uh, was that when the fifth dimensional entities entered the room, even though we couldn't see them, Uh, the temperature in the area of the room where they were standing increased by five degrees. When uh, the ninth dimensional entities entered the room, the temperature increased by seven and a half to eight degrees. And we felt with both of them a very strong electrical tingling sensation through our own bodies. So uh, it was a very, very interesting experiment, uh, particularly since we could ask questions. And all of that is going to be in my new book. Very good. Okay, uh, Aurelio, do we have another question? No, you can uh, have one of, the, one of your uh, uh, audience members. Okay, all right. Um, Ben's doing the producer thing, so I'll, we have one from Thomas in Somerset, England. And he, Thomas writes, on the show I have often heard Paul and Ben and sometimes guests question whether aliens would treat us as equals or nearly so. Betty's report that an alien showed her a star chart would indicate not only that these beings indeed came from space, but that they considered us to be a lot more than dumb animals. Would Kathleen Martin comment on this point? <laughs> Well, you know, it depends upon the individual, I think, that they're interacting with. Uh, Betty was a social worker. She was a a very kind and caring person. Uh, She and Barney both worked in the civil rights movement. Uh, They set up uh, the Rockingham County Community Action Program with funds from the Office of Economic Opportunity. This wasn't before 1961 they did that. It was after. But what I'm saying is that they uh, were both highly intelligent individuals. Uh, Barney's IQ was 140 and very, very kind. And they were treated well. In fact, Dr. Simon uh, asked Barney, do you feel that you've been kidnapped? And Barney said, no, because when I think of being kidnapped, I think that someone was harmed. And I wasn't harmed. You know, so Barney, Barney said he was not harmed. He was greatly frightened. This was a new experience. 
but he and Betty were not harmed. And uh, Betty did ask, uh, I know you're not from around here. Where's your home port? And the one that she called the leader uh, produced this three-dimensional map with uh, stars that were one the size of a nickel, the other the size of a quarter in the foreground, connected by five lines that represented trade routes. She was made to understand that. There were lines going to different stars. There in the end, after years of research by a brilliant a uh, woman from Ohio, Marjorie Fish, uh, she discovered that one of those stars was our sun, and there were two solid lines going to it. And there were also trade routes, or, or I mean expeditions, with uh, dotted lines. So I really think that it depends upon the human that they're interacting with. I know that when they interact with uh People who resist, people who might be police officers or soldiers uh, who are violent, use, try to use violence toward them, they will act appropriately. And some of these people are injured. People, uh, I know of people who have uh, attacked them when they entered their environment. And these people ended up being having black and blue marks on their bodies. I have photographs of that. So, you know, they uh, are going, they have come for that purpose, to meet with that individual for whatever reason. And they, they generally do it uh, unless that, that person says, I'm done with this. Uh, I'm ending this contract. Uh, I don't want to see you again. Okay. All right. Uh, really, if you have nothing further yet, uh, we have a second question from Thomas in England. Yeah. Sure thing. So the question is, uh, do, 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 do. second question, how does the Hill case compare with other abduction cases uh, Kathleen has investigated in subsequent years? Kinds of aliens, kinds of craft, the agenda that could be behind them, anything to that effect? Uh, the Hill case... Uh, is very much like the early uh, abduction experiences, that there were these two groups of greys, uh, the, the ones who were taller, who uh, looked more a little more humanoid, or human-like, I should say, not just humanoid, uh, and uh, were intelligent, who communicated telepathically, and uh, did the work of, communicating with the humans, with the being physicians, that sort of thing. And then there was a smaller crew who were the guards, and they were the ones who take the, uh, the human. And that's still going on, uh, not as much today, it's changed. But back then, so many people were taken by these two groups of greys. And then uh, before we knew it, there were groups of greys working with uh, insectoid types, mantis types. And then next thing we know, we hear about reptilians coming along. But uh, the, they're also, through all of this, were those who resembled humans, who were kind and benevolent and uh, would behave differently to the humans that they were interacting in that, with. That's still going on today. Uh, according to our studies, the most prevalent 
group are the greys, uh, and there are many races of greys. And then second are the human types who have larger eyes, who can speak telepathically, uh, and who uh, some of them say that they're, uh, they lived on this planet a very long time ago. And there was an environmental collapse, and they had the technology to move on, and did. Uh, so very fascinating. Uh, it has progressed now, where fewer people are being taken to craft. There's no reason, uh, nothing physical going on, unless it's a healing that they're doing. Many people are being healed, uh, particularly those who uh, have been part of this program, uh, being in contact with these non-humans from the time they were young, many from the time they were children. And as they age, uh, something occurs, they're having a health problem, and if they ask uh, to be healed, they are healed. Many, many cases, uh, hundreds of cases of this taking place. Uh, people uh, who are experiencers, now might uh, visit these non-humans out of body. Uh, they might have the non-human come into their environment. Since this non-human is vibrating at a higher frequency, they can't see them, but they can feel that presence with the strong tingling sensation and uh, communicate telepathically or have downloads of information. Okay, uh, Aurelia, we have some more chat questions? Yes, we do. Uh, Kathy, uh, in your research, um, if people just say no to being abducted in their uh, experiences throughout their lives, will their wish be respected by the uh, um, the entities, or uh, can they be left alone afterwards in your experience? It depends upon the type of entity. I've talked to... Uh, many experiencers who have asked uh, not to be taken. Again, they want to end that contract, and uh, it's been respected. And others who just want to reprieve, and they've been given a reprieve for up to five years uh, without contact. But then there are other types who just don't care whether you want to be taken or not. They're going to come and take you. So it depends upon... Uh, the attitude, I mean, and I said these 20% really don't care. They, they're they here to take what they want. Uh, but the majority are uh, kinder. And in my book, uh, Extraterrestrial Contact, What to Do When You've Been Abducted, I wrote an entire chapter with suggestions on what to do if you want your contact experiences to end. Okay, uh, Aurelio? Yes, and um, also there's been some speculation that the Greys are actually some sort of AI robot, some sort of a you know, genetically engineered being. Um, have you uh, done any research uh, or seen any research regarding this? I've done research on that as well. And uh, what I have found is that most people believe that the small ones, those who are about three and a half feet tall, could be robotic or bio-robotic. Those are the ones who are the guards, who just stand against the wall. They don't move unless they're instructed to do so. 
When it comes to the taller ones who might be four and a half to five and a half feet tall, uh, they seem to have consciousness. Uh, they uh, age. These experiencers uh, see uh, their aging process over many, many years. So uh, they are biological. Okay. Uh, really, uh, we have some more? Yes. Um, we mostly think of these aliens as traveling to us in space. Uh, could they be time travelers instead? Well, you know, maybe all of these things are happening. Uh, we know that people have reported uh, time travelers. They've been told these are time travelers. And, uh, you know, also dimensions. Are they are there uh, from other dimensions not too far away? Or are they uh, from another dimension but traveling through space as well? So there are all sorts of possibilities and uh, theoretical physicists who are working on this and, and developing hypotheses now. Okay, uh, next Okay, uh, do we have anything further from the chat room, Aurelio? Oh, sorry, uh, I didn't hit the uh, mute button. Uh, what's your What's your opinion, Kathy, of reports of alien-human hybrids, and do you think that uh, aliens are living among us? I do believe that some aliens are living among us. I do not believe that they are here to supplant us. Uh, I think that it is just a matter of uh, this upgrade uh, to humans so that we will survive, uh, so that this planet and all life on this planet will survive. And uh, so, yes, I'm aware of uh, children who are being born to human parents who have very special characteristics these kids, we think of them as indigo children, are highly intelligent, highly evolved. Uh, they might be clairvoyant, clairaudient. Uh, they can speak in light language. They can heal. Uh, just amazing characteristics. And the Australian researcher, Miri Rodwell, has worked with a lot of these. And also our own uh, Barbara Lamb who has worked with experiencers for many, many years. She's a family therapist. She's used hypnosis and uh, has worked with many families and children as well. Okay, we're going to try to work. We're coming up uh, toward the last few minutes of the show, uh, but we're going to try to work in as many questions as we can uh, and cut our announcements to a minimum. So why don't we take one from one of our listeners here, uh, Terry from Woonsocket, Rhode Island, where we broadcast from. So Indeed, and Terry writes to us, can Kathleen talk more about her personal experiences during and after the case? How old was she? What did she hear personally from Betty and Barney? And how did it affect her future? I knew immediately what had happened because I was 13 years old. I arrived home on the school bus, I uh, went into my house, and my mother was on the phone with Betty. It was the afternoon of September 20th, 
Betty and Barney had returned home. They'd had a nap and then called my Betty called my mother. And so I overheard from my mother's part of the conversation, and then my mother told me what Betty had said. Within two days, my parents and my two brothers and I drove the 20 miles from my childhood home in Kingston, New Hampshire, to Betty's and Barney's home in Portsmouth. And that's when Betty told, I heard her words myself, and my father sat in uh, quietly in a corner of the room with Barney. Barney was waiting for a call back from Pease Air Force Base, and he described to my father these non-humans that uh, what he remembered about the black shiny uniforms. And my father told me that he, he Barney was very clear about what he remembered, and uh, we saw I we saw the watches that uh, no longer worked but had been working perfectly fine on September 19th. Uh, we uh, saw the spots on the trunk of the car that hadn't been there before the night of September 19th, the early morning of September 20th. And those uh, shiny spots on the car had a magnetic field. We met all of the scientists uh, who... Uh, came to investigate the case. They would bring them down. I grew up across the street from my grandparents' farm in Kingston, and those were Betty's parents and my mother's parents. So uh, Betty would bring all of these people, and uh, Alan Hynek and uh, Jacques Vallée and uh, John Fuller. I met uh, Benjamin Simon, uh, many of those uh, people who were involved in the case, uh, just early on, I saw the impact all of this had on Barney, and we were trying to help him, and he had a, an abreaction in my childhood home, just a huge release of information or emotions where he remembered the way those entities moved as they were approaching the car, and that it was sort of in a rolling gait, and they had uh, spindly arms and legs. And, you know, it, I was just there through all of this. When Dr. Simon was permitting them to remember what they had said under hypnosis, the, he was working with them together to integrate this knowledge, they would stop by at my childhood home. And I would sit there and listen to Betty as she told us what they remembered. So, from the very beginning, this was part of my life, and it had a huge impact on my life. And, uh, you know, I grew up, everyone talks about how grounded I am. Well, of course, it doesn't make me weird just because this event is going on, even though disinformants would want you to believe that. I was uh, started out in psychiatric social work. And then when my first husband was studying for his doctorate in the philosophy of psychiatry at the University of Cincinnati. I did part-time graduate school there while I found a job teaching in the inner city because no one in the psychiatric hospital wanted to hire a five-foot-tall blonde off the farm in New Hampshire. You know, they thought I'd be injured. So that's, you know, that's sort of my history. I worked for many, many years uh, with uh, children. Uh, in in schools, and I was an education services coordinator, 
an educator, and uh, over time, I decided that I was going to investigate this myself, and as thoroughly or more thoroughly than anyone else in history, because I had the records, I had easy access to Betty, I had my personal memories of all of this, and I had access to the early investigators who were still alive. Okay, uh, just a point. If um, we, we will have to go off the air in a few minutes, I think we have time for one more question in the chat, well, a quick one. Uh, and but if Kathy uh, wants to stay on the call and continue chatting with the folks, uh, we're not going to stop her. So <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, uh, but you know what? Uh, let just let me say I would love to under any other circumstance. But I have a documentary film crew here ah, okay. uh, working with me this weekend, and I said that I would be back with them by 1.15. Okay, well, thank you for the time you've given us. Uh, as I say, I think we have time for one extremely quick question, you think, Ben, or we only have three minutes? Yeah, we, we, we could take it very, very okay. fast. We have something in the chat, Aurelio? Um, it may be a little bit complicated. It's, uh, what's your opinion, Kathy, on ancient aliens who approximately 200,000 years ago uh, have been coming here and updating uh, our DNA, uh, sort of like to create modern humans? Yes. Uh, you know, I, re- I really don't know. My impression is uh, that they've been here for a very long time and that they come back periodically to assist in our development. And uh, so I, I have no reason to scoff at the information from uh, biblical times. In fact, uh, Major General John Samford, at the largest press conference since the end of World War II, in July of 1952, at the Pentagon, said, these things have been seen in our skies dating back to biblical times. And uh, he talked about how we could uh, only uh, identify those as phenomena, that they come back over the centuries, etc. So, uh, yeah, it, it appears they've been coming for a very long time. Okay, well, that's about all the time we have for our broadcast So uh, what do we have next week, Ben? Well, next week we're going to put on our costumes, grab our full bars of candy because it's full bars only. Everybody, we're going to sit in the pumpkin patch, wait for the Great Pumpkin on October 31st, which is, of course, Halloween. Uh, We'll welcome back our good friend and partner in paranormal crime, Alexander Petikoff, who will share some of his wild adventures he's had while filming the Beyond the Beyond the Trail of series. Okay, now all that could change, so stay tuned. Well, these are the website, BehindTheParanormal.com. We leave you today with a pithy thought from none other than our own H.P. Lovecraft. Life is indeed comic, but the joke is on mankind. Well, we have a few more seconds. If you want, well, to do- I blew that one, <laughs> didn't you, I? Well, you know, you you did so well in in making everything so 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 streamlined. For well, the it, for, well, we certainly want to thank Kathy Marden for her her wonderful appearance today, uh, and also Relio Maraca from the Danbury Public Library. And uh, we encourage everybody to keep up with the rest of the week with the uh, Western Connecticut UFO Conference. So I think that's going to be um, it's a tremendous event. It keeps growing, and let's. Uh, Let's keep going. So I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. 
Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben 